0: I suppose uh,
1: if I were to tell you um, no one had the internet 300 or 800 years ago, you'd probably think, what's wrong with you? Of course not, Seth. Or if I were to say they didn't have air conditioning or indoor plumbing or social security, you would say, don't be daft, Seth. Of course they didn't have this stuff. But what if I were to tell you not one single person 300, 800 years ago had a professional counselor or therapist? It's an interesting thought considering the number of people who benefit from counseling, the number of mental health counselors in the U.S., which is growing at a rate of 20% per year. And thank God for them, right? We have over, as of the latest numbers I could find, over 116,000 people coming alongside others for counseling and therapy. And it's arguably still not enough. And the history is interesting of, of this type of care that we've come to need and rely on personal counseling though as we know it actually only emerged in the late 1800s and had a little different focus believe it or not it was more vocational it came at a really interesting time in history when people were transitioning during the industrial revolution they are transitioning to a completely different way of life and so people were there to help navigate what to do work wise really it was vocational how do how do you how do you move from the the field and the farm to the factory which to some extent is a sad reality. It was a sad reality. That era presented a crisis for many people, most of whom only knew an agrarian way of life. Factories and urbanization were changing that, and even the governments, as you might imagine, were pushing manufacturing, and they were pulling people out of the fields into the factories. This the way it was just working out. It was only in the 1940s when a really, truly person-centered mental health counseling and psychotherapy and others, as we know it, sort of began to emerge, began to go public. And it wasn't until the 1980s, get this, I mean, this is my childhood, right, that credentialing and licensing for counseling came to be. And some of you, like me, who have benefited so greatly from counseling and direction in that way, it's just hard to imagine a world without it. And of course we, we obviously know that past eras and even ancient civilizations they had wise people, they had sages and, and people to, uh, to offer direction, obviously, um, they had sacred and wisdom texts that people would follow and learn to, how to in many ways how to feel, how to cope, how to do uh, what they needed to do in an unknown you know, a, a, an unpredictable world. But if your life, if you think about this, if your life has been significantly helped by professional counseling or therapy and mine has, a world without it might seem really unthinkable to you, right? How, and this is where it left me with this question, how did people live with and work through their problems? How did they work through their fears and their stresses and their traumas? How did they pursue and recover well-being? How on earth did Western civilization even advance? And I'm saying this kind of looking from where we are right now and the importance of this type of help and connection. Were their lives any less traumatic? No. Not by a long sight. Or was their ability to deal with it productively simply different? Of course it was. Anchored in some different ways of responding individually, responding collectively. Right? Society has changed massively where the support structures and even the built-in connection and sense of place and personhood and identity has radically, radically changed. And I was talking to my wife, Ashley, about this and even thinking about what we've seen. You know, she suggested that people in past eras, even recent generations, just didn't talk about their struggles as openly as we do, um, which I'm sure is true. True. I'm sure that's true. And we know that even now in our age, admitting our problems and weaknesses and our need can still be stigmatized. It really can. And then I suppose if you take a really cynical view on, um, you know, you might be happy to say that people back then were just really repressed, right? They weren't dealing with their inner life and so on. But were they more so than in our era? Probably not. They definitely had some different structures and different ways of living. But again, it's still hard to imagine how the world could get on with it without the type of help that we're used to. And you're wondering, what does this have to do with Pentecost? I promise I'm going to get there, but just bear with me. On this point, I want to return to some things I brought up in a sermon back in February Um, And you might be saying, well, why didn't you come up with some new things, Seth? It's because I couldn't find any better things than this. And you might remember this. This is from a journalist named Johan Hari. Uh, He was a man who also had struggled with some really profound depression in his own life. I think he said for 17 years. And he met, he he traveled 40,000 miles to meet with experts all over the world uh, um, about what causes depression and anxiety and other struggles and what actually addresses them, what solves them. And he found there is scientific evidence for nine different causes of depression and anxiety um, and and other emotional and, and mental struggles, only two of which are in our biology and genetics, which means that seven others are simply in the way we live, in the world we've made, in what we lack, or what we've created, seven others. And I'm going to give them to you again. I think they're helpful. He said you're far more likely to become depressed if you have limited, meaningful contact with others. Like something more than shallow or diffuse. And he said in a 2019 study, and you know, you might be thinking when I say that, like, oh, well, I mean, that can't be many people, right? Meaningful contact. Most people have meaningful contact. A broad study that he mentioned in 2019, 39% of Americans said they no longer feel close to anyone. If you lack much, these are some of the other factors. If you lack much control over your everyday life, in other words, you just feel like things, like you're just an, an automaton, and you're living under compulsion. Maybe it's your job, maybe it's something else. If you, if you lack much control, or if you're rarely getting out into nature, which, you know, that one seems a little more accessible, you're more likely to suffer. But then he mentioned these other things, these other truly, these unmet needs, the need to feel you belong. That your life has meaning and purpose. That others see you and value you. And that you have a future that makes sense. A future that makes sense. And and Hari goes on to say, this culture we've built is good at lots of things, but we're getting worse and worse at meeting these kinds of needs. The World Health Organization, based on... Some, some significant scientific evidence, the best that's out there on this stuff, has been trying to tell us, he says, for years, that if you're depressed and anxious, you're not mainly a machine with broken parts. I love this quote. It's part of why I wanted to say this. You're not a machine with broken parts. You're a human being with unmet needs. Living in a broken world. So why am I bringing this all up on Pentecost Sunday? Why am I bringing it up a second time? Because I believe it has everything to do with the story of Pentecost. I really do. The reality that Pentecost represents for humanity and the potential that it still holds to do what? To invite broken and lonely and depressed and anxious and confused people into a kind of salvation that's more than just an afterlife sort of salvation, but it's a life here and now held up and held together in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, the help that Jesus promised He would send us to live in the world as it really is, come what may. So from Acts 2, we've just heard details of what happened. What happened on the day when the Spirit came in power. Supernatural language, communication, it made the shared story of the gospel intelligible, and it made it even irresistible to people from all over the known world. That's what happened. But then what happened? What was the outcome there? What did Pentecost ultimately mean? How did it walk itself out in the lives and in the words and in the bodies and in the connections in the community of people? Well, a church was born. And what was that like? These people certainly weren't whisked, you know, instantly whisked away into a celestial bliss, right? That doesn't happen in the story. Quite the opposite. Nor were they cloistered away to practice their spirituality, right? Or to practice their ceremonial stuff. They weren't cloistered away. This outpouring of the promised Holy Spirit, it birthed a new community. And it birthed an active invitation into that community. Let me give you more background on this uh, to this scene. I think it's helpful because we need to understand even where the church's birthplace fit into Israel's larger story, into the plan of God, the whole redemption, the whole plan to save humanity. Pentecost or Shavuot was celebrated by the Jews fifty days after the Passover Sabbath. So, in other words, this Pentecost. This just happened to happen on Pentecost. It wasn't the first Pentecost. This was being celebrated by the Jews, and it marks two important moments for the Israelites. This, let me tell you why these matter. Uh, it was also known as the Feast of Weeks, which did what? It commemorated the completion of the wheat harvest, which began the day after Passover. What were they celebrating? They celebrated God's provision for the needs of his people, his provision for them to be able to live and to be fed in the unknown, Re- provision of a future, according to his promises that's the first part of what what uh, pentecost meant but more importantly for them what does it mark it marks the day they became a people a nation it was the anniversary of the day god gave them his word the torah the law the way in which they could come before him to worship and come rightly to be known by Him and to know Him. This was the historical moment that God clearly set them apart from the nations to be a light to the nations, to worship and to do His will. This was a birthday for them. And so this moment for the church is so strategic and meaningful. The gospel was going to come to Israel. It did, and it tied, it was tied to their own prophetic and worship tradition. It would fold together then with the church, the gospel would move through Israel to the rest of the world through this Pentecost that we celebrate today. God's a genius. Here in Acts 2, Israel fulfills her purpose in the redemptive plan. To receive the Messiah, to proclaim His rescue and redemption in the power of the Spirit. And there's Peter standing there, and in Luke's very pointed words, he's standing there with the eleven, twelve of them. The 12 tribes that Jesus has regathered around himself and now Israel is fully flowering into her call. A forerunner. And has, they have become the birth mother for the church. We find out in the ensuing verses that they would become a community, this church, they would become a community of meaningful contact for the otherwise forgotten Pentecost meant a new kind of belonging. Regardless of your ethnicity, your social standing, your culture, or your hometown, regardless of your past reputation or your associations, together this new community had no political power, nor did it begin with any social capital to speak of. But they were given a new kind of power. What was it? power to be healed and blessed, but also a power to be a blessing and to do the work of healing for the world. The Pentecost of the church meant that God's Spirit, whom Paul calls the Spirit of Adoption in Romans 8, came down to tell the lost and the lonely that God sees and values them, and that there are a people called to see and to value them as His own children, that He has meaning and purpose for them when they can't find it anywhere else. It wasn't an idea or an abstraction. It wasn't a theological tenet because that's not what Pentecost is or means. Pentecost was embodied and gathered from day one. It was human and it was divine. This was the ministry of Jesus who embodied the love And gathered the beloved in his own ministry, right? This is the ministry of the Spirit, the one he would send to help. The one who, as the story unfolds, helps the church to pray when we don't know what to pray. Helps the church to have courage when it seems impossible to be unified when it seems so difficult to do. To hold their faith in the face of withering persecution and profound loss. Even the loss of their communities that they would have taken for granted. Ethnic, cultural, economic. So this message and this ministry of the Spirit became the message and the ministry of the church. So I'm encouraging you to consider how it happened. How it worked out. It began in redeemed communication and in restored community. Redeemed communication and restored community. Community. In other words, God gave them the necessary words that we still rely on for healing. The words, the language, and then also the necessary relationships, the connection through which to recover and to maintain our our hope and our dignity and our belonging and our purpose. It might be easy for us, and the church has made the mistake at times to just sort of quantify Pentecost and say, well, look at all the people. Look at all the noses with all their nickels, right, to become a part of the church. Look at what it did. But the quality of Pentecost is really what we are called to pay attention to. If the rest of the Bible from Acts on is going to make any sense to us. It's not that many, many people didn't come, but what did they come to? And who were they? Who did they become? It's only when we have forgotten or ignored the nature and the purpose of our Pentecost birth that we end up drifting away from our true selves, actually, and from the nature of the true church. And guess what? This has happened plenty, and it's still happening. We forget. We've too often forgotten that despite all that the world has to offer, to offer especially the fortunate, the well-born, the well-educated, the successful, we've forgotten that our real meaning and our purpose, our true belonging, that matters and lasts, our sense of a future A real happiness can only be found in the love of God in Christ Jesus. We get distracted. The church gets distracted. So this is why we want to remember and celebrate Pentecost. For a moment, I want you right now to think about the hardest season of your life. Just think about it. The hardest season of your life. And I know maybe you don't want to do that. Maybe it's right now. Let me ask you this question. How did you get through it? How are you getting through it? How do you hope to get through it? What do you think is going to be needed? Are you relying on words of life? And truth? Encouragement? Connection? When you got through it, did you have a community around you to speak and to embody those words? to bear your burdens, you probably did. And that's probably what you're going to need. In fact, I'd almost guarantee it. And that's why remembering and celebrating Pentecost for us is so vital because it shows us the height of the powers and the potential of life-giving communication with the best of our counselors do right and community what our society is losing the ability to do, and what the church has a unique call to continue to do. It's hard, but it's our commission. Wherever people are speaking life, hope, truth, empathy... And wherever people are actually sharing the same story, working together, accepting one another in grace and patience, and living in a kind of mutuality, what are they doing? They're expressing more fully, not just what Christianity is about, y'all. They are expressing what we're actually made for. This is the grain of the universe. All of us. And the truth is, virtually any community can tap into these virtues of support and solidarity. You know that? Because it's by design that this is how humanity gets on with it. And to the extent that, that they do tap into support and solidarity, a kind of deeper motivation and even fulfillment is possible. And that's interesting, isn't it? And we see that at work for not just for the good but for the ill, even in our time when people share a story. And when they talk it up and they rally together, good things can happen but also... Scary things. Mutual language and unified interest is a power unto itself. And it's no secret that human unities and mutualities don't always lead to the best outcomes. And that's why we remember the story of Babel when we remember the story of Pentecost. We remember how misguided and misappropriated language and unified effort are powerful too and they can actually build idolatrous cities. They can go a long way in trying to domesticate God and it's still happening today. At Babel, they were trying to build what came to be known as a ziggurat, right a tower at the top of which the deity would be enticed and even obligated to come down. They were trying to build a city and to consolidate power on their terms. They were trying to be in control. More could be said about that, but the contrast here is clear, and it's why we bring it up. This was a unity gone wrong, but it was a unity nonetheless. And we see that that Pentecost is a kind of redemption of the Babel project, right? Because at Pentecost, language is united again, but for a redeemed purpose, a holy set of blueprints, In fact, a new temple wherein God dwells by his Spirit is being built for communing with God and living in his will. It's nothing short of that. What I want you to consider today is this just a couple more minutes. Pentecost, what it means, and what the Lord provides in a Pentecost people, it isn't just for the church, it's for the world. It's for the world because simply put the church is for the world and you were the world and you live in the world. So the church as demonstrated at Pentecost is an invitation to the world using redeemed communication to invite them into restored community. An invitation with redeemed communication, language, words into restored community. It may not seem obvious at the moment, but God has actually given you His Spirit and is giving you to the world. Together, He's giving us to the world. He's giving you to your neighborhood. He's given me to mine. He's giving us to this one. But He's also giving you to somebody else sitting in this room who is probably fighting a great battle. What are the odds? He's giving us to one another this is what happened at Pentecost. And it's not lost on me that many of us in this room have experienced the church as anything but a place of blessing and healing, of redeemed words and restored community. Or at least maybe that's all you can remember about the church since the pain came and it will not leave. The church has failed many of us. And all of us have failed someone and we'll do it again. But the answer to that failure for each of us and for the church is not simply a better job of bootstrapping our best intentions. The answer is help. Is the helper It's a church that is postured to listen to the Holy Spirit when we don't know how to get on with it in the world. It's a church with leaders and servants and clergy and laity who realize when they pray and when they speak to one another, they need more than what they can come up with in their own intellect and in their own experience or expertise. We need the Holy Spirit. The answer is a renewed and regular dependence upon the same Spirit. And you know what that looks like? It looks like humility. It's a humility that keeps all of us cut to the heart like Peter's audience, who ended up asking in verse 37, what shall we do? And I don't know about how you're experiencing life right now, but as a leader in the church, and lots of things are going right at Village, but I'm telling you right now, I'm asking the question, what shall we do? For you, for Greenville, for the broader world. Ask it for yourself. Ask it for others. What shall we do? And the answer is the same. It begins here. Repent. And now I don't know how you hear that, and you might hear that wrong. Good chance you, you, you do. What does repent just simply mean in this context? It means turn to the Lord. Turn back to the Lord. You know, Martin Luther said, the whole life of following Christ is a life of repentance. Welcome to Christianity. We've got to turn to the Lord again. We've got to remember our baptism and the baptism of the church, which Pentecost, that's our celebration. It's the new birth that leads us on a new path with new words for the new community. The church is, friends, simply humanity, listening intently to the Spirit through prayer and communing with the Spirit and one another through worship that we might come to God And find ourselves. And when we're faithfully expecting the Spirit to lead us as Jesus promised, guess what? I believe He will. I still believe He will. And He's doing it now. Our community will look more and more like a people of mutual healing and blessing. That's what I want. It's what we need, is what the world needs. And the truth is, this is what every reasonable counselor and therapist is trying to do for the world in micro, right? Really? If only in part, and whether they know it or not, they're trying to help people be OK, to help humanity recover ourselves, to help us be resituated in community, each of us within the truth, within health, to help us hear the words. It's a lot of words and they matter to hear the words and to practice the ways of flourishing to reconnect us when life has disconnected us and we're getting really really good at that to our great despair ultimately whether the best counselors and therapists among us realize it or not they are at work to help recover a sacred truth To recover a sacred beauty and a sacred wonder of what it means to be human, to be fully alive, to bear the image and likeness of God in us, breathed into us by the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who even now is at work in us, each of us, all of us together. It's the same question every week, folks. That's why I ask it do we believe that? Do you believe it?